Hi, this is Panel Beater and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radiotherapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radiotherapy's Facebook page. Panel Beater with Dr. Sharma and Neo Nadal in the studio with you this morning. Good morning to you both. Good morning to you. Good morning. It is nice and sunny out there. It's brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. We may may buck la nina after all. It's been cold and wet, hasn't it? God, I don't know if I'd consider ourselves you know, that potentially lucky. Like, I just, I've, I've given up <laughs> on any kind of optimism here. I just enjoy the here and now. It's T-shirt weather. Yeah. Uh, it's incredible. Yeah, that's I, the big news. I saw a 31 coming up this week as well. What? I know. It's not something I've seen for a while. Not for ages, huh? Not for ages. Oh, that's good news. Good news. Hey, um, this is the last time the three of us are together this year. Oh, no. Yeah. It seems like we've only... How many times have we been in the studio together? This year, oh, maybe this might be a third, fourth. Yeah, oh, I think it'd be third, second or third, all three of us together. All three of us, yeah, oh. maybe, maybe three, and you know, which means for the last two years, it's only been, you know, three or four. I think we got one in last year, didn't we? The front end of the year. God, we did too. Yeah, Jeez, what a shocker. Um, but times are changing. Do you feel mm. anything like normal? I mean, I was until yesterday uh, with our old mate Omicron. Uh, is that how we say it? I don't I'm, even know how to say it. I'm loving how I'm learning the Greek alphabet via a plague. <laughs> the, only, the only time I've ever heard the word Omicron, and this may be showing my age, is Futurama. There's a, <laughs> there's a, whole, a, whole, uh, a right. whole planet named after Omicron, and that's the only reason I actually know how to pronounce it. Uh, so it's Omicron. I think so. Not Omicron. I don't. I, I, I honestly have no idea. <laughs> it's I thought if you the media organisations put out a little style guide. I think it's, I think it's supposed to be said Omicron. But yeah. Hey, we'll find out. Yeah. Where's your mood in relation to it? Are you kind of like a oh, wait and see, or you're already yeah, nervous? It's or? interesting. Yeah. I, I don't think it's as wait and see as we have been with previous variants. Just because you know the people I listen to, the the virologists and biologists, they're making all the kind of wrong sorts of noises. Oof. But they, they have said explicitly uh, there, there are you know, three different things that we have to look out for. Is this actually more transmissible than Delta, which we don't know for sure? Does it cause more severe disease, on which we've already heard some mixed things? And mm. I don't know how if, if it's too early to, uh, to say that yet. And then yeah, potentially the most important thing for a country like Australia is uh, will this virus, this strain, evade uh, our vaccines? Mm. Uh, and until we get answers on all three... Uh, yeah, it's a bit moot, but the, I guess the good news is we'll find out, I think, within the next few weeks. Yeah, right, right. I woke up this morning, there's some European action. That was the news this morning, wasn't it? Well, is that the latest? Yeah, it's lots of travel bans coming in, and including our own our own country, but it seems like we've learned from... We haven't really learnt from past mistakes that these travel bans don't particularly work. No, no. Yeah, you can't be, you know, a bit... We've already banned you know, COVID zero, so you, what you can't do is be Omicron zero, but open yeah. to Delta. That's not really going to work. So, of course, we've put in travel bans against African countries uh, at the moment. Uh, I don't see those lasting very long. It's already all over Europe, as we're finding. Yeah. Um, and what are you hearing about the relevance of the current vaxes um, and its, you know competitiveness with this new variant? Well, the short answer is we don't know, mm. but logic tells us that the boosters are going to be very important. Mm. Potentially, you know, the choice of which vaccine to go for in terms of the boosters could be uh, important as well. But mainly, the, this, 
the principles still exist, you know? Mm. Ventilate, reduce the amount of spread among the community, get vaccinated, that's it. Yeah. I think the good thing is that we have no evidence that it evades vaccines. Like, oh, yeah, no. Hmm. Yeah. And I guess, you know, from uh, my perspective, I, I think I'm just being reminded over and over that um, this is just the future, isn't it? We're just, so. we're just going to learn to... I want, I want a different phrase, but we'll just for the sake of this morning go with learn to live with it. You know, yeah. we're just going to... Well, here's the thing, right? We will have to put up with the Groundhog Day of more and more variants until we address global vaccine equity, mm. right? Yeah, right? You have to suppress it everywhere to stop lots of replication because that's what drives mutations. Then we'll put a stop for it. But until we do that, yeah, this is just going to play on repeat. S- such a good point because it's, it's re-highlighted, and rightly so, the, mm. the inequity of the distribution of the vaccination. We might touch on that with an award coming up, mm. just nudge, nudge. Mm. Um, but... Um, uh, yeah, I mean, by definition, it's a it's a reminder that by definition, a pandemic is a global event, and to not have a, a vaccination program that responds in a global fashion um, isn't is points to the inequity, right? And this really shouldn't be a surprise to any of us. People have been highlighting this issue that variants will emerge in heavily unvaccinated populations, yep. and big surprise, here we go. Indeed, indeed. Um, there was another news item that we wanted to touch on uh, as we uh, get into the show, and that is some really baffling news. Again, it's not it's not a new news; it's like a repeat of news. Um, and the shambles that was the psych exam, the psychiatry, um, um, yeah, examination. So, yeah, so I guess long story short, uh, psychiatrists have to go through a grueling training program just like everyone else, and that also involves multi-step exams. Because of the pandemic, a lot of these things had to be done remotely, and the system crashed, and the psychiatry trainees were rightfully very angry, saying yeah. that a lot of this was foreseeable. There was no fallback plans that you've been, you know, the psychiatry college had been told about this. There was even a meeting held with the the kind of the, the committee that oversees all this with the trainees that that was did not go to the satisfaction, I think, of anyone. And we're in this extraordinary position, extraordinary position where the country could be short of psychiatrists, even more than what we already are, just because uh, essentially this kind of Zoom exam could not be organised properly. (laughs) This is not the first time this has happened during this pandemic. Um, It it really worries me how fragile our kind of training line of psychiatrists and how mental health is in this country. Uh, So, you know, the trainees are rightfully just distraught at the moment. Mm. And we have a a lot of very qualified and excellent trainees waiting to be independent practitioners, waiting to provide the service that, you know, the country is desperate for. And they just can't because they haven't been able to fill this tick box. It's only because of this news that I've started to get a sense of what the the scale of of it is. I think, did I read correctly, there's about 2,500 registered psychiatrists. Sounds about right. Sounds about right. And so about how many new psychiatrists, you know, and, and you know, knowing that some retire and, and then the, the graduates or the you know, accreditation process takes care of the news. What What is the number of new accredited in round figures? Do you guys know? I actually would not have any idea to be no. honest. And I personally wouldn't know if those numbers are going kind of up or down either. Uh, but the point is, relative to the population, mental health needs, it's just yeah, not yeah, enough. That's and, the crux. Yeah, that's and, and the other issue is that the the body that's clearly overseeing uh, all, all this is clearly very autonomous. And mm. the, the problem is, who did the trainees complain to when 
the yeah. people that, that would uh, complain to are in charge of their career progression. Mm. Uh, and I think now it's becoming obvious to just to that this is in the best interest of the community, yeah. not just the trainees to have the best, most uh, resilient training program possible, not just trainees, uh, because otherwise it's the community who misses out. I think I saw on um, on uh, the socials that there has been some formal um, lodging of uh, complaint or um, and re- yeah. demand of action. Yeah, I think um, one of the psychiatry trainees, Dr. Sky Kinder, I think is their name, yes. um, yeah, that's was the one of the, the leading voices behind a, a formal letter of complaint against the board, which is a, a big thing to do and you know good on them for, for sticking their neck out yeah. in this time of need. Absolutely. But they, I think one of their major complaints was they just don't have a way of escalating their issues to um, and having their voices heard. Is that because of the autonomy of the, of the college? I think it's just the way the college and, the, mm. and they've set up their, um, their representative body. Yep. Um, in a very peculiar way, where there just isn't a way that they can safely escalate these things and get them get them appropriately managed. Nice one, guys. That uh, gets us out of the news and points us in the direction of a big show ahead, which is our awards show. One way or another, in the three years that the three of us have been um, together, we've done some kind of list awards show at the uh, on the final show of the year for the three of us, and we're doing that again this year. We've tweaked a few of the awards <laughs> from last time. Um, last year was, for obvious reasons, very, very COVID-heavy. Mm. COVID's still going to feature again. Mm. Um, but we've uh, we've tried to um, capture some other some other matters as well. I think we've got one of our um, perhaps best awards and a little treat for our audience uh, near the, the end of the show. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Well, the great news is that the award that would otherwise be called the gold the you know the gold logie of radio <laughs> Awards, you know, which we've, we've called uh, the shining light award uh, for this year, we're actually going to be able to interview the winners. And unfortunately, the station hasn't uh, forked out for a, a trophy this year. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, same as last year. Same as last um, year. And I believe the year before that. That's right, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we and put them in the mail, but we all know the mail's been struggling under COVID. So. And no champagne for us here. <laughs> it's a travesty, really. Exactly, exactly. So we've got uh, seven or eight awards. Um, very tongue-in-cheek, ladies and gentlemen. So um, please uh, <laughs> take some, of, take, take some <laughs> of the uh, assumptions that sit behind the nominations with yeah. a grain of salt. And if there's any complaints, you can direct them towards at Dr. Sharma on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You've been having a lot of fun on there this uh, last couple of weeks, Dr. Sharma. Oh, it has been good fun. Yeah. Uh, it has been. What can I say? And, and the material just keeps coming, you know, one after the other. Now we've got Omicron. You're, oh, my you're, God. Yeah, Comedy gold. Well, that's right. You're getting fed the lines and you're just uh, being set up for great punches. Yeah, yeah nice punchlines. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Kicking off the 2021 Radiotherapy Awards, our first off the rank is the We're All In This Together Award. Last year, this was a very tongue-in-cheek award. And the nominees we had there were Beck Judd and Kim Kardashian. Um, and, the, uh, and, of course, uh, as if it's not obvious, it was to, to point to the, how removed they, their, their lived experience of the, uh, of the year had been at that point. 
we've um, we've we've twisted it um, a little bit and calling it the Inclusion Award this year with the, an attempt to, to acknowledge and recognise um, community organisations or institutions that have done the most to do something radiotherapy related in health services, medicine, um, to bring people together or to address. Um, whatever's going on from a social and community-based perspective. Neo, you want to take us with our first nomination? Yeah, I um, actually saw this recently. I'd like to nominate actually the Austin Hospital. They've opened a low-stimulus vaccination clinic for people who may be experiencing autism spectrum disorder, severe anxiety or phobias, and these are the barriers that are preventing them from getting vaccinated. You know, we can we can imagine that. You know, I assume most of our listeners have been vaccinated, and it's quite a. It can be a stressful experience. Lots of people. You feel rushed. Uh, there's this big clock counting down in front of you. Like it's very noisy, and people with these conditions just might not get not get vaccinated because it's they physically cannot stand that kind of environment. And yeah. It's just an awful idea that this is the barrier that's yeah. stopping them. So um, it's a big props to the Austin for recognising this and taking some you know, real tangible steps to uh, you know, be more inclusive with their vaccination. I was stoked when I heard mm. uh, about this initiative. Um, I've got um, a nephew mm. who has a full bore phobia mm. with needles and so um, underwent counselling, mm. um, medication, um, the works uh, to go and get vaccinated. You know, so intellectually, he's a smart kid. He was totally on board with getting the vaccination. He was just dealing with a phobia. And this is, you know, I've heard of people who have been a bit resistant just because they don't like getting a, a jab. That language is loaded as well, right? Um, but to know that there's this kind of service going on that that mitigates that obstacle for a lot of people by the sound of it. And you shouldn't need to go get medicated to go get a no. vaccine. Like, it's... That's a, it's a, Big, big props to your nephew, but that's a bit extreme that we have to make them experience that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess if people want that choice, and that's okay, but this is a nice shift in focus away from what the individual can do yeah. uh, to what systems and processes yeah. can do to make it easy for them. When we're talking about a significant subsection of our community yeah. who want to do the right thing. Yeah. What can we do to support them? So... People with specific phobias, generalised anxiety that's severe, maybe post-traumatic stress or your know, autism spectrum. Yeah. Anyone, uh, you know, of, when we think about it like that, that's a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm just so, I was amazed that the Austin did this. And you know, now the question is, I wonder what other health services or even non-health yeah. services are going to clue onto this stuff and start catering and being more uh, inclusive to yeah. the rest of our community. And it's, all, in my mind, it's the same as, health services offering a high-risk vaccination service. So people who experience anaphylaxis during um, vaccinations can go to high-risk settings where they'll be monitored for a longer period of time and have staff on hands that are ready to, to provide care if needed. It's In my mind, it's the exact same situation, you know, just a, yeah. a different, different perspective. Nice one, nice one. Um, second nominee for the Inclusion Award 
taking a gratuitous opportunity to pump up the tyres of our our dear beloved hosts here at Triple R for their effort over two years to make sure there's effectively been uninterrupted um, broadcasting um, uh, through you know some incredibly challenging times. The uh, the station here uh, for listeners, you know, many many of our listeners visit the station um, in ordinary times and and will be aware of the layout here. Um, so it's worth just painting the picture. You know, we come in, of course, we do the QR code. We've been doing the sign in. There's all manner of cleaning um, that's done um, uh, at the place and that the broadcasters do. But then there's the technological support. So many of the shows have been doing it off site and um, been doing an incredible job all with the support of Triple R. And of course, uh, a lot of the shows are music and we might be wondering, but there's been lots of opportunity through many of the shows um, on Triple R to keep um, the Triple R listenership across um, COVID issues in particular. Um, not to mention um, health more broadly on, on many of the talk shows through the week. Um, so they're worthy nominees in our view um, for the Inclusion Award. Thirdly, Dr Sharma. Yes, I think this third nomination goes out to uh, uh, the, the various food banks and food relief programs and charities who've reached out to people. Obviously, lockdowns have made things difficult in a, you know, in a number of ways. Everything from the fact that many people have to literally isolate, cannot leave their homes, to the fact that certain groups have, you know, some people have lost their jobs and uh, and literally lack the money to, to eat. Uh, and not to mention we've had um, influxes of, say, a lot of uh, Afghan refugees who've come from Afghanistan, you know, in light of recent, um, recent events, obviously, over there. Um, and we've had several food banks and relief mm. programs who've reached out to these people uh, and I guess the way in which we can say they've been inclusive is providing food that is attuned to people's cultural wants and needs, providing food that is halal, providing food that is vegetarian or vegan. And, uh, you know, it's such a... Working in hotel quarantine, I can tell you right now, probably the number one compl- number one or number two complaint would have to be food. It's the thing you do right. three times a day and you have to do... Um, uh, in order just to survive, uh, and when you when you don't get the things that that, you, that satisfy you, nourish you, uh, it just destabilizes your entire day. So for a lot of these food banks and charities and relief programs yeah. to to give people exactly what they need uh, has been a you know, power move. Twenty twenty one. Yeah, and and we are doing that uh, as a broad uh, blanket to many of the different groups because there are so many, um, and then not wanting to single anyone out. I think the other thing about um, witnessing that during. Uh, recent times and you know um, the food supply to communities and uh, in quarantine and so on has been it's a good reminder that there are a lot a lot of good people out there and around that you know when so much of our news is obviously highlighting antagonists to um, certain the, the circumstances we find ourselves in to know that these people are out there and getting a lot of community support that's really wonderful we need a winner mm. I'm tending toward the Austin me too, me too. Yep. I think this could really set a trend in all sorts of healthcare services and potentially beyond healthcare as well. So I think they're a clear witness for me. Well done, Austin Hospital. Your uh, award's in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
taking us to the second award of the morning, and that is um, the Oft Overlooked Award. And this is our chance to recognise um, valuable healthcare workers and services um, that um, perhaps aren't always in the uh, limelight um, but deserve to be so. Our winners last year were aged care workers. We've got um, a, uh, a quite a long list of nominees here. I'm just going to um, read right through them um, and we can talk to one in particular, Neo, um, in a moment. I'm going to run through them because they're largely repeats of last year um, and it is our opportunity just to return um, and focus on them. It's the casual workers amongst us whose precarity in the workforce is... um is, um, is increasingly evident um, as we move through COVID. The cleaners, the people we rely on in all sorts of workplaces and environments, um, whether they be healthcare facilities or not, um, doing a crucial job and obviously by definition in a high risk um, uh, capacity. Um, home carers, um, aged care workers, our winners last year, um, nurses, generically speaking, of all, all um, stripes, and but the new nominee for this year, uh, Dr. Neo. Yeah, I, I included patient services assistants. So these are basically the people in hospital who do a lot of the a lot of the grunt work of moving patients to get their imaging done, taking them down to surgery, uh, doing a lot of the cleaning of their their spaces. They spend a lot of time with patients and a lot of time on their feet spending a lot of physical energy you know i recall a few years back we were all trying to do a little competition of who can do the most steps in a day and the competition was supposed to last all day it ended by about 10 30 a.m because these guys just got clocked up like 15 20,000 steps already physically incredibly demanding work and like like you say dr neo just you know, invisible unless you know uh, what to look for and their work is absolutely indispensable they've had to work throughout the entire pandemic yeah and you know as much as i appreciate the victorian government for putting up um a you know a little covid bonus for your healthcare workers you know every shift that we work with covid patients we get an extra $60 per shift, which is lovely and um, you're very appreciated. And if you're not working with the, with uh, with COVID patients, you're still getting $30 a shift. You know, this is yeah. a great initiative and a great way of thanking your healthcare workers. But unfortunately, even if you're working with COVID patients as a patient services assistant, you're getting $40 less per shift. So you're only getting a $20 bonus. And, you know, quite honestly, these... Pa- like. I'm currently working with COVID patients. These people spend more time with right. with patients than I do. They they transport them all over the hospital. They're in lifts with them. They're they're cleaning their be- they're cleaning their rooms straight after they've left. Like they spend a hell of a lot of time with these people with COVID patients, and they're getting remunerated less. And I don't think that they're providing any other any less essential work than I am. You know, they're just very different roles, uh, which I, I think is incredibly disappointing. Yeah, yeah. I reckon I can hear it in the, the voice of the three of us where this is going. I reckon we go with the patient services assistance. Mm. Unanimous. Mm. Indeed. Awards in the mail. <laughs> 
One final award before we take a, a music break and um, edging ever closer to the Shining Light Award at the, uh, that we're looking forward to also interviewing the winner of. Our third award of 2021 is the Not-So-Invisible Hand of the Market, the award for which we uh, consider the role of the private sector in health services in Australia um, and, uh, and indeed perhaps around the world and its impact on Australian services. Uh, for better and for worse. So our nominations here are to recognise some upside and, <laughs> and I think we've even got a nominee um, that uh, falls in the downside side of things. Um, Neo, Merck and Pfizer caught your attention. Yeah, I was impressed. that They've got this new antiviral pill and medication that they're going to be you know, rolling out in the next few months and years and they've decided, both of them, to provide their pills royalty-free in low- and middle-income countries. Um, you know, just for a little bit of context, what we use here now, what I've been helping to organise is um, citrobimab, which is a big fancy word for a, a monoclonal antibody, basically a protein that's been devised from someone who's had COVID against COVID. Uh, and it's quite a restrictive way of uh, who can get it. Often it's, un, it's unvaccinated or immunosuppressed individuals who have some other risk factor, whether it be age or diabetes or severe asthma. Uh, and you give it quite early in the illness to help prevent them from getting a severe illness. And you know, it, it's not particularly... Um, it wouldn't be that useful in a lower middle income country to strobe map because it's a infusion. But having easy-to-access pills in these countries for a largely unvaccinated population... Uh, I think will hopefully make a big difference to their to their healthcare. I guess that's the thing with the pills; they're actually much easier to for low middle income countries to to manufacture than say vaccines. So with the vaccines, well, the companies have not gone royalty free, but you know. You'd, you don't know how much that would have helped anyway, mm. considering the incredible amount of infrastructure you need for it. But molnupiravir and Paxlovid, the the two drugs that have now you know the the royalty free, so to speak, by Merck and Pfizer. Uh, that may be quite the turning point for a lot of these countries. Yeah, good point, because the the pushback on the royalty free argument has been the. Uh, the, the, the claim that the big farmers make that they don't want to go royally free is that they say they're inbuilt into the royalty process is protection for corrupted production of these um, uh, vaccines and so on. Either corrupted in the literal sense, you know, money crossing palms that shouldn't get money crossing palms, or just um, you know, shortcuts on the production of the, of the vaccine itself that might have ongoing um, uh, health consequences that are outside of the control of, of, the, um, of the intellectual property owners. But that segues into a nomination of our Pfizer, again, um, for a slight negative. And it was the chest thumping um, uh, that they made around um, noting a $26 billion um, uh, return on on vaccines for 2021 good on them uh, you know it's a commercial enterprise um and they're there to make money for their shareholders and so on the thing that catches my eye about it oh there's many things that catch my eye but one of the things that catches my eye about it is i draw a link between this um chest beating about it and how wonderfully successful they've been um with the opportunity it provides conspiracy theorists to jump on board and say see this is just a money-making exercise this isn't really a pandemic of the nature that we're being told this is just an opportunity for big farm now I, I i don't buy into that conspiracy theory in the same way as the conspiracy theorists uh, presented 
But you can't deny that if the, if the pharmaceutical companies are presenting this kind of information in the way that they are presenting it, if you're predisposed to a conspiracy, you're going to see it through that lens, aren't you? Yeah. 100%, so best just to not brag. So <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I guess Pfizer's the winner. We just... <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll go with the tablets. Let's be all positive. Winner and loser. Winner and loser, yeah. yeah. Um, prize in the mail. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Onwards with the awards for 2021, and that brings us to the Stick in the Mud Award. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> you want to kick us off, Dr. Sharma? Oh, where do we begin? I we should we should preface by the the the, the, the this award is for somebody or someone um, or an institution or similar who's done the most to be an obstacle to what we see as progress. I mean, I don't want to get personal here, but this particular person has really gone out of their way this entire pandemic to. Well, let's just, uh, many people would argue undermine the the public health effort. Um, I'm talking about uh, now ex-MP Tim Smith, who oh really, I mean, talk about, uh, I was going to use, I was going to use a really bad analogy. I was going to say, it, I, I didn't mean to, but I was going to say it's going to be, it was a total car crash. Um, and it really has, has been. <laughs> Boom tish. Ba- basically, we've, we've had someone, as far as I'm concerned, every step of the way, uh, present some kind of counter-argument, no matter how specious, to any kind of regulation about health made to protect other people. And then, of course, uh, as soon as lockdowns are over, uh, it turns out that he has been drink-driving and involved in a car crash. Uh, and I think, even at that point, probably like a lot of people, that wasn't... It, you know. There is this reaction we all have of slight kind of sympathy of going, well, this is someone in their kind of lowest moment. Yeah. But then, of course, you know, kind of when the microphone came to him and he was asked a lot of questions about, well, you demand the resignation of a lot of other people. Um, you know, you've you've now uh, kind of controverted uh, these these public health orders yourself, which you know, drink driving is perhaps the the one of the strongest uh, laws we have um, that uh, would you consider those to be draconian, of course, and there was just no. I think, congruent answer given by him as a leader. I think um, uh, piggybacking that point there, Dr Sharma, is it occurred to me that it actually underlined how successful the public health campaign against drink driving was because there's almost universal understanding that this is a uh, is this is something that not only puts yourself at risk, it puts others at risk. And the last time we had a, a really big don't drink, don't drive type campaign, it was focusing on the damage you can do to others. Um, and and it's just it's it's now part of our cultural DNA. I think is to just have universal um, disrespect for drink drivers, even though there's still some recalcitrants out there. And so he was effectively engaging in two big public health campaigns uh, in 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 contradictory ways. I think my issue with it is that I'm I'm all for discourse and I'm all for you know disagreeing with uh, regulations and things that need to and like having opinions but provide a sensible opinion and provide a sensible alternative if you're the the shadow government like don't just say this is bad and uh 
yeah, it just just provide a alternative that would actually be feasible yeah. is my biggest issue. And, of course, we haven't seen uh, much of that at all from you know, the next nominees, which is conspiracy <laughs> theorists in general. Um, Anti-this, anti-that, anti-vaccination, anti-mandate. What's the alternative? We've seen absolutely none. So they're a strong nominee. Yep, strong nominees for the uh, conspiracy theorists, which go, probably go hand-in-hand hand with our other nominee, Facebook misinformation. You know, we might want to dip our lid a little bit to Mark. You know, he um, Facebook have now put little auto um, notes on there that do you really want to share this or how do you want to read the article on Twitter and, and things like that. Is it Facebook or is it Meta? <laughs> now it's Meta, I guess. Here we yes. go. Um, the one that I, the nomination I'm making is one that I, I, I find simultaneously amusing and, and really kind of underlines some peculiarity uh, we have in our relationship with mental health and work. And that's with April Co, who built a $2 billion mental health startup by the time she was 29, by any measure on in, in that regard, uh, successful. Um, but in the last couple of months, current and former employees say she led such a fast-paced culture that it created panic and fear um, and uh, that uh, there's been massive amounts of burnout among the staff. There's been accusations of bullying, people breaking down and so on. There was an employee doing work while infected with COVID from their hospital bed. Yeah. <laughs> this is a mental health startup. Yes. $2 million worth of startup. Dedica- dedication to the cause. Yeah, bless, bless, bless. Um, and, um, yeah, and I think... So where are we going to land on a, on a winner for our Stick in the Mud of the Year 2021 award? Uh, look, I think it's got to go to, like, just your, your general anti-vax protesters. Okay. I, yeah. I, I think that's who it's got to go to. That's my vote. Yeah. I, my, my pushback on that a little bit is that I, I, I'm... As tempting as it is, I still want to excuse the individuals involved mm. here. Yeah. I think they are being played by darker forces. You know, and, I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, you know, again, they think they're right. They and think it sounds they're a little right. bit silly, I, but they think they're they right. They think they're right. Yeah. 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 So who should know better? Facebook. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Tim Smith should know better. <laughs> Tim Smith. Oh, yeah. Let's go with Tim Smith, shall we? Yeah, good on you. Good on you, Tim Tim Smith. Uh, Awards in the mail. Um, Our next uh, award is for uh, the meme or media trope of the year. Um, And we have have three, four nominees uh, for this one. Starting off with, if I could jump in, perhaps one I could talk to, first of all, is is the Great Resignation. And this is a fabulous social phenomenon that's on the back of the experience of of COVID. Um, And we started having discussions about what were going to be the long-term implications of a global pandemic way back when it started. What are the implications? And we started talking about what are the implications of work for home? um, What's the implications for work life um, going forward? And we're starting to see a little bit about that, aren't we, guys? Um, and uh, for better or worse, it's being labelled something like the Great Resignation, where people aren't returning to the work life that they once had. In fact, it's important to understand what it is about the pandemic that crystallises this movement. Basically, you know, in the face of the most extraordinary pressure people have felt in their life, the d- demands of work were unrelenting, and people felt they were getting paid too little, didn't have that kind of job security, still required to do it, and yet then there's this pandemic making people realise what it is that really matters in their life, yeah. and they've gone, 
I don't think it's my work. So a lot of people have started to accept, you know, kind of less pay or do what they like instead. And the, the other thing is that the, the great resignation, which is what we call this phenomenon, not just uh, something we're seeing in America or even the UK, uh, you know, in, in a way we're seeing it in China as well, Tang Ping or the lying flat movement where workers are giving up what they call the 996 schedule, mm. uh, nine hours a day um, for six days a week from, from nine to nine. That, that's the, the kind of philosophy that's been present to China for a while. And people are just now, quote, quite lying flat and doing something else they like. Dr Sharma, what, something that caught your eye, I believe, was the pelvic thrust. Yeah, well, <laughs> what, a, what a way to introduce that. Yes. So uh, if you remember, back, think back to the Olympics, uh, Ariane Tippers just had this kind of great upset victory and her uh, coach, Dean Boxall, just could not control himself, <laughs> ran up and down the stands and then just thrusted the air uh, holding on to the uh, to the railings for leverage. What an image, what a meme. I think I, I used it about 20 times that week and probably so did half the internet. So it really captured the mood. And this is also when Australia started to get vaccinated. So there was a convivial mood in the air. Yeah, so yeah. I, that's my nominee. It's all happening. Um, another one that caught uh, our attention was the consent video. Oh, yes. Oh, the, the milkshake consent and the backlash to that. So if you think back to that, that was that awfully produced high-key lighting video where oh. the government used this awful analogy uh, to, to try and tell us what consent is all about. And, of course, that was just made fun of endlessly. And the, you know, the, the kind of the meta joke there was, uh, no, consent is much more complicated than even your multi-million dollar video oh, is yeah. trying to tell us. And it just shows just the kind of chasm of gap between where governments are at and where culture uh, is really at. Whoa. So that was a, a nice little kind of self-awareness move, uh, moment for, for anyone who was sharing that meme. Just a great big head shake all around on that uh, little episode. Um, and then, uh, so for our award, the meme or media trope of the year is the word vax. I think so. See, vax used to be a dirty word that was used by the anti-vaccination uh, movement. The word being V-A-X. So if you were vaxxed, you know, something bad kind of happened to you. And yet, as we've seen, that word has now been reclaimed by mainstream society. You mean vaxxed? I mean double vaxxed. Are you going to get a booster? Yeah, you're going to get a vax again. And it's become the Oxford English Dictionary's word of the year. Yep. So reclaiming uh, that word for, for good, uh, that, that gets my vote. I, I think my favourite use of it is now hot vax summer. <laughs> oh yeah is that right okay. everyone's right experience now. a hot vax summer <laughs> is that it is that it okay cool we'll be we going with vax yeah. I think it's vax go, for, go with vax for meme or media trope of the year our final uh, award before we get to the shining light award and our special guests uh, and winners um, is the book film website podcast or TV of the year award for an award where there's some kind of depiction or representation of a radiotherapy relevant uh, theme or issue or character, uh, Doctor Neo, Hail Mary by Andy Weir. My, so mine uh, doesn't exactly fill the uh, the criteria of the uh, of the award, <laughs> but I just quite like the book. You know, it was a uh, in a year that didn't provide a lot of joy. Uh, it was a very like Andy Weir, the author of uh, the the book The Martian, which had a very large um, large film made. Um, this is his third novel, and it was just a very, like, pleasant book to read with lots of exciting twists and turns. So if anyone um, anyone is looking for a, a little sci-fi recommendation, uh, that's, that's, my, that's my go, you know? I just had a... It brought me joy. 
that's your go-to. Um, we've got we can't not nominate one of our own for this, and um, Steve Allen and Catherine Devaney um, released the second edition of Mental. And getting a second edition up and running is no small achievement. And um, have been able to capture the changes in our world uh, since the first edition uh, a few years ago. And that second edition was released, I believe, I think the launch was a week or so ago. Um, So well done to them and deserved nominees of our book, film, website, podcast, TV of the year award. The COVID. uh, Well, the COVID base is the other nominee, which is this brilliant website uh, that has been collating data uh, and displaying to the to, to the people all about COVID uh, case numbers, hospitalisation, but particularly, and I think where COVID base has done really well has been a vaccination uh, data. So that's been absolutely brilliantly displayed. Uh, and uh, and the next nominee that I thought was um, was the book Sleep by Matthew Walker. Yeah. Now. To be fair, I have not read this book yet, but my goodness, the number of times it's come up in conversation mm. with people. So it's it's a book all about, I guess, the science of, of sleep, this thing we spend one third of our lives doing, book by Matthew Walker. Uh, so that just keeps coming up over and over again and tells me how important people find this stuff. Yeah, I, I have read it and I've just... Um, I'm so unhealthy. Um, <laughs> um, the, uh, the Shrink Next Door, just lastly for Nomino here. Uh, this was a podcast a couple of years back. Caught my attention. It was fabulous. It's based on true story. Bloke goes to a um, psychiatrist. The psychiatrist uh, nefariously takes over um, the, uh, the life, effectively, of this patient. And uh, that's now running on Apple. I think we're into about four episodes or so. That's The Shrink Next door starring will farrell and oh anyway we'll lost it. Break. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um uh the winner i think covid base for sure uh best website of 2021 that i found yeah. best website of 2021 um but well done to all our nominees um and uh trophy in the mail this is a podcast from triple r an independent media organization in melbourne australia To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. It is time for the Shining Light Award. The Shining Light Award goes to a personality that has been prominent and positive and gives us reason to be optimistic. And I think no one fits that bill better than the brain trusts behind COVID Base. COVID Base is one of those ingenious websites that have been put together by kind of volunteer data analysts in our country. Uh, it's one of the, the, the few ones that I'll go to regularly. Uh, but a lot of us were completely shocked just a few months ago in September when it turned out that the, this Brains Trust were three 14 and 15 year old uh, boys in Melbourne. Uh, Jack, Darcy and Wesley. It was revealed when they showed us their first dose vaccination photos. We were just blown away. They are the feel-good story of the year and they join us now. Jack, Darcy and Wesley, how are you guys going? Hello. Hello. Great to have you with us, guys. Guys, uh, so many questions to ask you, but... Okay, take me back right to the start, right? You're looking at the pandemic just like all of us. These, it's big news. It's happening in the newspapers. It's happening, you know, you've got prime ministers speaking up. But you clearly felt like you could add something here. What did you see was missing that you thought, maybe I can help out with? Um, so it's been a long sort of journey that we, to get to where we are now. But I think sort of in about February of this year, we 
sort of the three of us came to the came together and decided that we thought that we had a lot of skills and we sort of knew I'd been just tracking the data a bit on the side for just out of personal interest. And, you know, Darcy's a genius when it comes to coding and stuff. So we we thought that we all had the skills to sort of um, create something. And in about May, we actually um, sort of launched and started um, sharing data to the public. And it's just been a crazy journey since then, um, always growing. What was the uh, biggest obstacle to get the momentum behind it? Because it seemed like you came out of nowhere, but I'm sure there was a lot of work in the background before we started seeing you on our websites and social media. Um, yeah, probably the biggest obstacle would have been um, you know, one of them just collating all of the data from all of the different places where it's reported. Um, yeah, each of the state governments report data independently and so does the federal government. So just collating all the different bits of data into one place mm. was, yeah. Now, I, like, I, as, a, like a, as a junior doctor working through this pandemic, I haven't had a lot of time to keep track of the data and how things are going. But quite honestly, your, your Twitter feed and your website's been the one kind of point of information that I've personally used to keep up to date. Did you ever see it getting as big as it got, like as as just practically useful as it has been? Uh, yes. When we started, we originally, we originally planned to be the best. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Good on you guys. And like being the place where you can get all, your, all the, all the data, data and information. And so... Yeah, I feel like we, we have. We, I feel like we, in our opinions, have achieved that. And yeah, yeah, it's not. Just, it's not just your opinions. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> oh, it's already therapy's opinion. <laughs> yeah, That's right, shining light award. Yeah. Hey, I've got a double-barreled question for you because they're kind of related. One is, why did you decide to go anonymous from the start? Was that something to do with um, being at school and how you wanted to manage that uh, exposure just amongst your peers? Um, and how did you manage setting up this and running it while you're in high school? What, you're year 11, is that right? So we're in year nine, right? Year nine. <laughs> that um, makes me feel even worse. Well, <laughs> year nine. Well, how did you manage school, the anonymity, and uh, then breaking the news of who you were? Yeah, so in terms of, like, remaining anonymous, I think we just, like, didn't really have a reason to sort of share who we were. We, I don't think it really made much... We didn't really feel like it would um, mean that much at the beginning, like, if we just, like sort of randomly said yeah this is us from the start so but we did think that like we would like to share it but just when the right time came we'd always sort of thought okay when would that when would be a good time and we sort of thought well getting the vaccine will probably be the perfect time it's probably not going to be a few months or um so that's sort of how we felt and um yeah we when the right time came we did it and it went really well and I mean in terms of school um I think we actually are sort of lucky to only be in year 9 and not be in say year 11 because I think being in year 11 would have made it a lot tougher but I think something like with the lockdowns that's just really been like a it's been a real gift to us um because it just gave us so much um sort of spare time to 
be able to manage things. And even like now we are all back at school, but we just, we now have most things automated, which it just helps a lot. So, you know, say at 9am when Victoria and New South Wales um, post their data, that is pretty like you'll see um, tweets from us and updates with like, you know, 1,000 new cases in Victoria, you know, the seven-day average is up this, active cases are down that. that That's pretty much all automated now. So it's just, it's been uh, really helped by the fact that we can automate um, most things. Guys, just a, one other question I wanted to ask. You know, you're leading data analysts with COVID, but like I say, you're also in school. What have the last couple of years been like for you? Obviously, doing the COVID-based stuff has been, you know, you've been so motivated to do that. But what's it been like as just being, you know, kids going to school and, and thinking about this virus? Has it been a, a fearful time? Has it been frustrating? What's it been like? Um. Well, mostly it's just sort of been, you know, because you have to, all the remote learning and not seeing anyone is sort of, you know, not, not very fun so it was sort of good that we had this website just as sort of something to do during all of the lockdown great that uh i'll tell you what you've made better use of lockdown time <laughs> than probably anyone in the world which is why we are so so proud to uh, announce you guys as the winners of the shining light award honestly you've been just the feel-good story of the year for me, uh, for, for yeah. Dr. Neo, for, for Panel Beater, and a lot of people, you've given us so much cause for optimism. Thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, thanks, thanks. so much for having us. Thanks for having us. Good on you guys. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye for now. Yeah, you too. Bye. We've been speaking with uh, Darcy, Wesley and Jack, the winners of the Shining Light Award uh, for 2021 here at Radiotherapy and their work on COVID base. If you, by chance, are one of the few that hasn't had a chance to catch them, you'll find them online. We've got a very quick wrap-up. Big thanks to the station, Dave Beck and Elizabeth in particular. Big thanks to Max um, on the podcast. Um, big thanks to our Sunday neighbours here on Triple R Grid with uh, Radio Marinara, or Tim, Radio Marinara and um, Einstein, and then on to eat it great sunday morning um programming um this isn't the last radiotherapy show of the year still two more to go but it's the last of myself panel beater the last with um dr neo and dr sharma i want to say a big thanks to the two of you for um this year and and i feel like it's a package deal it's a package deal with the last couple of years to be able to coordinate a, a show um remotely and then get us on air i think it's been um a, um, a real treat to be able to do it, and B, I think, um, I think we've brought some good broadcasting to the to the show. Hi, this is Panel Beater. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Therapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine, and well-being. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Therapy's Facebook page.